Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project, and I'm so excited to bring to you another special guest, Dr. Anita Phillips. Welcome, Dr. Phillips. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you uh, for joining us today. Uh, Tell our audience just a little bit about who you are. Um, and then give them a little bit of background about yourself. Wow, the question I'm always least uh, prepared to answer, right? So uh, my name is Dr. Anita Phillips. I'm a trauma therapist, a minister, and educator, and a mental health advocate, particularly for the people of God. So it really is um, my greatest honor to talk about mental health in Christian faith spaces so that we can be strengthened um, spirit, soul, and body. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you uh, decided you were able to join us today. I know your schedule has been quite busy. I've been seeing you everywhere. Um, <laughs> so Except always from my house, right? And this year I'm <laughs> everywhere and, and nowhere at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> looking forward to being able to travel again. Um, but yeah, we yeah. wanted to to talk to you about navigating depression um, because in this season, a lot of people are losing people. Um, holidays are different than than what they've been uh, because of because of COVID. How can people recognize uh, depression within themselves? Like, what are the signs um, that that show us that we we might be depressed? Sure. So if we're talking about depression specifically as a mental illness, we're talking about what we call major depressive disorder. I'm excited that in the process of destigmatizing mental health conversations, the word depression is becoming more common for us to discuss as well as anxiety. Uh, but we don't want to confuse uh, a, a low mood or a difficult emotional period with a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. So when we're talking about major depressive disorder, we're looking at it having been at least two weeks of just consistently feeling um, very sad, very low, and kind of an absence of any previous interest in doing anything you used to like to do. So those are two major factors, but there's also maybe sleep issues. Is there um, fatigue, but not able to sleep? Or are you sleeping all the time? Um, Are you physically restless or on the other extreme, just kind of physically can't seem to move around? Um, And something else that's really critical about major depressive disorder are feelings of worthlessness or guilt Mm -hmm. and the idea of suicide as well. 
So we can have difficult things happen to us and that can lead us to respond with sadness, um, not feeling like doing things that we love, maybe even being exhausted, a sense of fatigue. But that sense of guilt and worthlessness and the presence of suicidal thoughts are really important indicators that there's something more serious going on. And when it comes to suicidal thoughts, that could range from, um, it doesn't have to just be, I'm, I have an active plan and I'm considering um, trying to take my own life, but it could be just thoughts of wishing I wasn't here, you know, church people that are just like, hey, I, I, I could just go to sleep tonight and be with Jesus and I'd be fine. You know, you have to listen for that kind of language because we aren't always talking about it in explicit terms that we would rather not still be living. So you have to hear how people might be expressing it. And sometimes, particularly in faith circles, you might hear it cloaked in that religious language. And even the person saying it may not realize it, but anything other than leaning into life is a mm -hmm. concern for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned suicide. I've been talking to a number of my uh, apologist friends mm -hmm. and they've been talking about on from what they've heard from the students more and more they have never heard these many this many students talking about wanting to take their life yeah or, like, what are the consequences what are the eternal consequences for them leaving this world mm -hmm. there's a sense of hopelessness and this was even before the pandemic yeah. um, why do you think wow. that is more becoming more and more pervasive in our culture I think people are talking about it more for mm -hmm. one thing. So in some ways it may not be this more prevalent, but people are taking the risk of talking about it more, particularly in faith spaces. Um, mm -hmm. But this year in particular, we have seen suicide rates increase tremendously. It's terrifying because people are shaken. And I wanna speak against the myth that every person who has a thought of suicide um, also has a severe mental illness. I feel like, that is a myth that people sometimes think, of course, having a mental illness does increase the risk of suicide for many people, but it is not the only reason why. And this year in particular, with the losses that people have suffered, whether it is the loss of a loved one to COVID or the loss of a job, the loss of um, the opportunity to attend a funeral, the loss of normalcy has shaken people so much uh, that people are struggling to hold on to hope. And so it's really important for us to continue to speak openly about um, suicide so that people feel comfortable asking for help. Mm -hmm. That's that's so helpful. When we talk about depression, what are, what are the differences between situational and clinical depression. Okay, so when you say situational, I'm guessing what you mean is um, that it's related to something that happened or an environment, that mm -hmm. environmental change or situation that you're in. So again, as I said earlier, there is plenty going on in 2020 and will continue to go on in 2021, um, difficult situations that people are facing. And so we may be responding with sadness and it may be prolonged. And then there's grief. People, like I said, are grieving. I think some people haven't even really recognized that what they're feeling is grief because grief is not only associated with a death, a mm -hmm. grief is associated, can be associated with any kind of loss. And we have just lost normalcy this year and people may be just grieving that. Um, and so they can feel that sadness, that heaviness, that loss of joy. Um, but one of the main ways to, I think to tell the difference is, was it initiated externally or is it now seem to be initiated internally? In other words, mm -hmm. as the situation passes, 
or continues to change. And you're thinking, if I can just get through this, I'll feel better. And then you get through this and you don't. But then there's another thing and there's another thing. Our lives are so full, so busy. Um, our culture is not one that is really conducive to our mental health, that there's always something you can find in life to say, this is the reason why I'm feeling badly. But if you're constantly looking for an explanation for it, it may actually be being internally generated. And that would make me say, hey, maybe you should talk to someone. You know, I don't like to give people um, details to the extent that everybody's trying to diagnose themselves or more likely trying to diagnose someone they know, right? Because mm -hmm. we all, <laughs> oh, I knew, I wish so-and-so was listening right now. No, sis, I need you to be listening right now <laughs> for yourself, right? Um, but if you feel not well, you feel badly, sad, down, depressed, anxious, whatever, more hours of the day than not, more days of the week than not, more weeks of the month, more months of the year, life doesn't have to be normalized in that state. That is good enough reason to reach out to a therapist and check and see if there might be a way for this to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's helpful for, for our audience and, and me even to know um, as we're as we're thinking about mental health, and I've been in the church my whole life, PK. Me too. Uh, me too. Third generation <laughs> pastor's wife. Third generation. Yes. And you know how, uh, especially I, I grew up in the Pentecostal background, so you know how. Uh, what you got in Christ, baby? What you know about uh, you know, that? <laughs> that overspirit. You can't uh, join in. You got to be born in. Uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> but. Uh, you you know how that uh, there's an over spiritualization of of things instead of dealing with you know the issues at hand and sometimes people can blame people's depression on sin or this is a consequence. Mm -hmm. How how do you help people navigate? Because sometimes there people do are overwhelmed with guilt from their sin and they don't want to deal with that. But I think more times than not, it actually is mental health challenges. Um, how do you nav navigate uh, that and how do you help people differentiate that? Sure. So I'm going to say something that will probably surprise you, but then let me explain. Every human experience that is suffering is related to sin. That's mm -hmm. it, right? We know mm -hmm. that sin is came into the world because of the devil and that for this purpose with the son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. So anything that we're girl, my earring just fell out. Anything that we're <laughs> suffering um, as human beings is the consequence of sin in some way. So let's mm -hmm. start there. But the problem is we view sin too narrowly. So mm -hmm. when people say, well, you just need to stop sinning, they're talking about an act of sin, right? Or people are wondering, did I do something wrong? Have I sinned? Have I done something that I should not have done? And if we are living in a way that is not... Um, conducive to integrity in the sense that I'm do, I'm engaged in behaviors that I believe don't please God, um, and that's important to you, then yes, that is going to be mentally distressing, right? We call mm -hmm. that guilt. And that is not necessarily a negative thing because anytime that we are, are acting against what we really believe, we experience some cognitive dissonance there and it can be mentally distressing, right? And mm -hmm. so if someone is, you know, sleeping with someone that's not their spouse and somebody else's spouse and you're really like waking up in the middle of the night with terrible guilt, good, right? That we want you to <laughs> have that. And you can stay in a situation that is compromising for such a long time that it can definitely begin to um, 
cause your mental health to deteriorate, taking away your peace, right? So I don't want us to get into this dichotomy of either you are mentally healthy or you're mentally ill, right? Mental health and mental illness are on this continuum. Mm-hmm. And hardly anybody is 100% mentally healthy and or 100% mentally ill. But if this is mental health and I'm living in a way that is bringing guilt into my life or shame into my life by my choice of actions, that's going to move me away from feeling great, right? Mm-hmm. So acts of sin do affect how we feel emotionally. And mm-hmm. that's real. Um, and a lot of times Christians struggle with that space because they may be doing something that they know is not God's best for them, but for some reason they just have not been able to stop. And in that case, it may be a manifestation of brokenness, right? When the the Bible says that when we find a fault, that we should confess our faults one to another and then pray that we be healed. It doesn't even say pray that we be forgiven. It says pray that we be healed. So there's often brokenness associated with a fault. And that kind of brokenness is something that can often be addressed in therapy. And we don't always think of it that way. So that childhood trauma, um, that the poor relationship examples that you may have grown up seeing that now have you engaged in relationships that aren't healthy or things like that. Uh, an addiction, you know, you can be saved and have an addiction. Mm-hmm. And so there may, and not just think of that as, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm falling into this addiction. I'm committing an act of sin, but that this is springing from something in me that's broken and I can get help with my brokenness and therapy can help with brokenness. Right? So that's that action of sin. But then there are also, um, sin consequences. That's another dimension of sin. Many of us are suffering things because of something that someone else did. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it could be a childhood trauma, that sexual abuse. Someone committed a sin, not only against God, but against us. And now I am um, broken in a way that may predispose me to experience mental distress, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety are all um, more commonly observed among people who suffered abuses and traumas as a child. And so in that way, I may be suffering because of someone else's sin against me. And then of course there's sinfulness. That's just our fallen nature, right? These bodies are made of dirt and they do stuff. And so just like my body, because it's fallen, produces illnesses that have physical symptoms like headaches or high blood pressure, this fallen body also produces illnesses that have emotional symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd like people to recognize that connection because very often for those of us who grew up hardcore church, hardcore Pentecostal, as I did, um, but I also was raised with a sister who had a severe mental illness. So this question was one that I posed to God at a very young age um, mm-hmm. to understand this from a spiritual perspective and from a natural perspective was that the fall has changed all of us mm-hmm. and has predisposed all of us to different forms of suffering. And so it's all related to sin in some way, but that doesn't mean that I'm guilty mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And that's, I think, extremely helpful because it also doesn't mean that you're under demonic. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you, you have a life full of demons per se. Right, like, sure. You know, like that, that you equate uh, mental illness with needing an exorcism. Uh, sure. Um, you know, but I grew up in that in that culture as well, taking people through deliverance. Mm-hmm. That was the term that we use. Is that a term? Are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. how we talked about it, right? The Catholic, <laughs> they talk about it as exorcism, but it, for us Black folks, it's going through deliverance, right? Yeah. And I grew up in that environment as well. I 100% believe in that. 
And so I don't discount that. And I think one of the reasons that particularly we as mental health professionals fail is that when we're talking to um, members of the body of Christ who come from this tradition is that we kind of want to push it aside and then just focus on the mental illness instead of bringing it all into the same space and let's talk about it, right? So my sister's mental illness began manifesting because she was having hallucinate um, as hallucinations of demons. So imagine mm -hmm. this at the Pentecostal house. My mm. sister's waking up in the middle of the night screaming, blood curling, fearful screams because she sees demons standing in our bedroom door. And here mm -hmm. I am, little Pentecostal girl, trying to decide if I need to plead the blood of Jesus, go get my dad. You know what I mean? I have all mm -hmm. these questions. And so, of course, this is one of the reasons that we began to realize something else was wrong, because if it was simply a demonic attack, believe me, it would have been conquered at our house. I can mm -hmm. tell you that for sure. And so when it didn't, then it began to be this question, God, what else is going on? But that doesn't mean that demonic activity does not exist. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray. And I think we struggle as church people because we want to know the one thing that's wrong so that we can then respond from that one space. So is this spiritual? Mm -hmm. And if so, all I need to do is something spiritual. Is this mm -hmm. biological? Then I just need to do biology. Is it emotional? Then I just need to do emotion. N none of them are mutually exclusive. If I have a plant in a pot and mm -hmm. the water is tainted and I water it with tainted um, water, the soil is gonna be tainted, but guess what else is eventually gonna be tainted? The stem, the leaves and the fruit. If the mm -hmm. air is toxic and it comes in through the leaves, eventually it's gonna be in the roots and the soil because no matter how it gets in, it will eventually flow through the whole system. And so mm -hmm. when there is mental distress or mental illness, use every weapon you have. Use every strategy you have. Plead the blood of Jesus, cast out the devil, go to therapy, take the medication, <laughs> get the exercise, spend time with friends. There is no one approach to being well. And mm -hmm. so what I really wanna do is cancel that question, which mm -hmm. is what caused this and then have the idea that I only need to have one response. And that if I'm going to therapy and I'm, I'm or, and or taking medication that I'm not also praying at the same level. Mm -hmm. We need to do it all. That's that's helpful. I'm glad you mentioned that you don't you you go to therapy and you couple that with prayer because I do think there is especially in sometimes the young professional culture where it's like once you once you become uh, educated, you no longer need church. You know, right. the spirituality aspect. Uh, I got a therapist, so I was listening to a, mm -hmm. a panel discussion where the where the guy was like, uh, "My therapist is my pastor because my therapist was more effective than my pastor ever was uh, in me getting healing." Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> and and it's like you don't you don't have to leave the other because you felt like they were incompetent in handling your childhood yeah. trauma. They just right. weren't trained to handle your childhood trauma. They weren't trained to handle it. You still don't need prayer. Have you have right. you seen that? Um, in, Absolutely, in Absolutely, because it's just like, well, they weren't able to help me, so I needed to go over here. And and there's a, a, a understandable pain mm -hmm. as a result of that because we have gotten so much from our spiritual life um, that to feel let down, to feel not heard, to feel not seen, 
by your pastor or another minister is a very painful experience. Absolutely. And depending on how they responded could have even been a traumatizing experience. Um, but that person was responding out of what they understood. And that person is not God. God didn't fail you though. God mm -hmm. is still there. And we do need to look at that. And we have learned so much so fast um, that generationally, there's still some catching up that needs to be done, right? So back to mm -hmm. the example of my sister, um, my sister's severe symptoms really started coming through in the early 80s, in the early 1980s. Uh, at that time, mental health and Ill mental illness wasn't a conversation really anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. It was not just not in church or not in the black community, but it wasn't a national conversation, period. And mm -hmm. pediatric psychiatry was just starting. So the idea of having medication for young people was not a, a regular thing at the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. quite normalized like it is today. And so when my parents are looking at what my sister's going through and her symptoms went on to develop into um, very rebellious behaviors. She would run away from home. She would become violent. And so then the question really was, is this demonic or is this just bad behavior? Mental mm -hmm. illness wasn't even an option for an explanation. It wasn't that they were rejecting it. It wasn't mm -hmm. an option. Mm -hmm. Now my parents are in their seventies and they understand this, but only because they had this experience. Mm -hmm. And so I want us to be, I, I want us to help leaders to learn and to evolve in this space, but I also refuse to um, attack them in the sense that they are intentionally doing something wrong. For many who come from a generation where this wasn't even part of the conversation, um, there's a lot to learn. This has happened very fast. You know what I mean? It's happened yeah. very fast. And so we need it all, honey. We need mm -hmm. it all. Don't let the enemy trick you into abandoning your God because you got help from something that God provided. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Never, ever leave that behind. We are spirit, soul, and body, and we need to take care of all of these parts. Yeah. And I and I love that you said that, um, and you probably could testify to this too, being a PK, that sometimes the demands that people want from leadership is a, a, a too uh, too big of a burden to put on any one person. It truly and so is. Like you you want all this from the church, but it would you probably couldn't even demand that from yourself if you were a leader because you would be you. too too burdened <laughs> to do that. And it, you yeah. know, I I know my p parents have I've watched them obviously because I they're my parents, but they put all they have into ministry. Everything. And sometimes they still, you know, they can't please everybody. There's still people who say, well, I didn't feel like you did enough here. And I'm like, man, they put all they had. They were raising a family. They had three mm -hmm. children, you mm -hmm. know, there's so much. And so yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I do think there needs to be grace. And I know there are people in the church doing crazy things, but there, for the most part, most people are doing all they can to 100%. serve people and they're mm -hmm. not getting appreciated for that. So I'm glad. Yep. And, and I so feel that because that's that PK heart. We understand that, <laughs> that it's not, a, and it's not about money. You know, the average church has 75 members in the United mm -hmm. States. The average church is not a mega church. The average church has 75 members. My father was a pastor of a small church, still is, um, and worked a full-time job for the first decade or so of that, in addition to pastoring. 
um, because the church couldn't support him. So, so often people are like, oh, these people, and they're just taking the money and not giving people good information. It's not like that. You have a lot of sincere people who are imperfect, but are trying and learning. And the best way for us, particularly as mental health professionals to help is to approach it with that perspective, with love and respect for what has been provided. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, a lot of our traditions in the black church that we um, have let go of were actually so good for our mental health. Mm-hmm. We didn't even realize what was supporting our mental health in those previous generations. Some of the traditions that we have tossed out as old school, like mm-hmm. testimony service, Mm-hmm. and shut-ins and carrying on the altar. Uh, now we talk about embodied healing and how it helps to walk and to move and to dance and to sing. Well, I'm sorry, but I think we used to do that for hours together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Am I right? And, <laughs> right, and, and, and crying. I mean, just to lay on an altar and weep for 30 minutes and no one bother you, but you don't have to be alone. Do you know how therapeutic that is? Think That's about it. Mm-hmm. Think about it. So, so much of our traditions, you know, um, really were helping us in terms of our mental health. And as we have become contemporary and we have shorter services and we have praise and worship leaders instead of congregational singing, and there's not time to lay on the altar and cry like that. And a lot of things that were so good for us that were natural to who we were as Black people, um, we don't engage in as much anymore. And so it's possible, and not only possible, it's true that our grandmothers may have received mental health benefits from church gatherings and worship styles that we don't engage in anymore. So when they're saying pray about it, and when we say pray about it, it ain't quite the same pray. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So there is so much for that generate the past generations to learn from our generation and the new generations, but we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater um, about how black folks have survived all this time. There was some wisdom in our traditions that spoke to the pain and emotional pain that was stored in our bodies. And um, we shouldn't let all of that go. Yeah. And as you were talking about praying, I just got the uh, the uh, visual of waking up with uh, oil on my forehead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because my mama had been praying over me while I was asleep. (laughs) Well, come on. But she was there with you, right? She was there with you, right? And and we have that oil meant everything to us. Now we see um, uh, Black people very interested in this idea of bringing sage into spaces. Mm -hmm. Well, we had our oil, baby. And I still got some. (laughs) You know, it's about having communal practice. There's something very emotionally um, healthy about our community practice and our community spiritual practices that are so critical to our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to be careful not to let those things go. So we're adding mental health care to who we are, Mm -hmm. not not transitioning out, not abandoning anything. We are expanding our Mm -hmm. well-being and we're expanding our strategies for achieving well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, one of our uh, people on our team was talking about their friend was saying that uh, they are implementing crystals and sage and all these African spirituality practices. And she was like, what are you what are you doing? And she she said, I think our quest to make shorter services 
um, where it's like an hour you get in and get out, people are missing the spiritual aspect. So they're searching for other places um, to get it because church has become uh, less spiritual and more kind of robotic in that in that sense. So Production. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very like, much so. a spiritual encounter and people are like, very I want a spiritual so. encounter. So they're looking for yeah. outside of church spaces for that. So, yeah, um, I agree. And our Africanness is mm-hmm. not in rituals, mm-hmm. it's in a perspective on spirit. Mm-hmm. It is in the belief that the invisible realm holds the information that we need. Mm-hmm. That is so essentially African. It is the belief that we can be empowered by spirit to have an impact in the seen mm-hmm. realm. That is so very African. So it's so, that's another podcast I bet, but African spirituality at its essence is not um, in practices and things that we see. It's in a perspective and an approach to spirit. And mm-hmm. that approach is what has made black Christian black Christianity so unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you for that. When we think about depression and, and navigating depression, there mm-hmm. are some like overt things we see, but sometimes pursuing success uh, mm-hmm. can also uh, <laughs> be a sign of depression. And it sounds so crazy that that would be it. But how how is that a, a possibility that people sometimes? Mm-hmm. You feel like you're saying that when people are kind of just focused on succeeding that they're mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to understand the question. Yeah, um, sometimes people are like overtly focused on succeeding in in life mm-hmm. because they're trying to cover up some kind of traumas and that mm-hmm. they're still depressed but nobody would think so because they're succeeding in life on that on the outward. Does that make sense? Does that um, Yeah, I think it is more probably related to the discussion of trauma. Uh, because mm-hmm. one of the ways that we avoid confronting the pain and the symptoms that may be associated with a trauma that we've experienced is by staying busy. Mm-hmm. And if people sit still, it, their whole mind goes crazy. Uh, they may start to connect with the pain that they're in. And so they like to stay busy, busy, busy. So that's definitely um, something that we see as a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. The value of action and the value of staying in motion Um, is particularly emphasized in the Black community. And I don't think it's a bad thing. It just is what it is. Different cultures emphasize different things in their worldview. And movement and action is something that we emphasize. And so sometimes when things aren't going well, um, we will move more Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, In in an attempt to deal with that. And we see this manifest in depression as well. So if we compare how black women express the symptoms of depression and how white women express the symptoms of depression. We really see this cultural truth come through. Um, Black women express being sad, feeling worthless or feeling guilty at a similar rate as white women. It's a little bit higher, but not more than about 1% higher in each of those categories. But when it comes to feeling like um, everything I try to do is an effort, nearly 10% of black women will say they feel like that and less than 6% of white women do. Mm -hmm. And so this is a distinction in how depression is manifested culturally. And because that action, that movement um, is something that we place a particular value on, then when depression is kind of dragging you down, black women Mm -hmm. will notice the difference in that area first Mm -hmm. and it will mean more. 
So we see black women express that that as a symptom of depression um, almost twice as often as white women. The sense that I'm trying to do things, but everything just feels like this incredible effort. Like I'm just walking through mud trying to get things done. And I can I am sure that some women are listening right now thinking, uh oh. I do feel like that. <laughs> um, and so depression isn't always I'm lying down and I can't get up because I'm so distressed. It can be that I'm moving, but man, it feels like so much more effort than it used to. Mm-hmm. It could be that. It can be indifference. It can be, um, you know what? I'm not depressed. I just don't care. I just don't mm-hmm. care about that. You know what I mean? But that indifference can be a symptom of depression. So maybe um, a mother has been just desperately trying to get her child help. Maybe that child's addicted or in trouble and and they've been doing so much, but not realizing the toll it's been taking on them. And then suddenly they stop bothering. And it's just like, well, what happens? Like, look, I, I don't, I'm not depressed. I just, I just can't care anymore. I just don't care anymore. That's a sneaky way of um, mm-hmm. the symptom of indifference sneaking in with black women. Um, also another way that people miss depression is um, that sometimes depression has what we call anxious features. So you mm-hmm. might actually think it's anxiety, but they're actually just anxious features of depression. And this is why I don't want people trying to diagnose themselves or other people because it can manifest in so many different ways. Here's the thing, if you've been feeling like this for a long time, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about you figuring out what it is. Just go talk to somebody who can help you figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. That that's helpful. Do you have time for another question? Oh, absolutely. I'm fine. Yeah. Um. So when people are trying to they they like try to diagnose other people, uh, uh-huh. they usually stop caring for them well sometimes in their diagnosis. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're bipolar, or you're yeah. you know they 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 have already diagnosed them. They need some medicine, and they kind of disengage. Yeah. Um, how do we care for people well that are navigating mm-hmm. depression? Yeah. So for one thing is. Um, if you know already, like, hey, I have a friend who has major depressive disorder or who has bipolar or anxiety disorder, or any disorder, but we're talking about depression today. If I know someone who has major depressive disorder, um, the number one thing you can do if they are in a major depressive episode, so they're really struggling at that moment to do anything, take care of themselves or do anything. Um, one of the things you can do is just be present. The ministry of presence is a powerful thing. Um, Don't try to fix them. Don't try to drag them outside. Uh, Many people will report that a friend or a loved one who's willing to just sit in the same room with them while they cry has Mm -hmm. been one of the most um, valuable things that they've been given. Mm -hmm. Uh, Be present. And a lot of times that's so hard for us because we don't want to be in the presence of our own emotional pain. (laughs) much less somebody Mm -hmm. else's. We don't want to be in the presence of any emotional pain. We haven't learned to sit in a painful place. Mm -hmm. But that's something that goes along with being emotionally healthy is to be able to be in the presence of pain and joy. And Mm -hmm. so to just sit in a room with someone, maybe they can't get out of bed that entire day. Just sit with them, let the TV play or whatever, and just care enough to be present that has um, has a huge impact on people knowing that they are loved and accepted as they are. Because when someone is deep in the throes of a depressive episode, they may not be able to do anything else until that episode passes. Mm. And so just being present with them in that time is an incredible act of love and of mercy and of compassion. Um, here's some things you should not do. This is not the time to be judgmental. 
oh, they're just trying to get attention. They're just doing that. They just don't want to be better. That's one of my most hated Instagram memes. Some people just don't want to heal. Um, some people just want to stay in pain because that's their identity. Shut up. Oh my God. That makes me so angry. Like as frustrating and as their pain is to you, how do you think it feels for them mm. to be trapped in there? You know, I have a friend who's a mental health advocate. Her name is Candace Ewing. And she described her depression at its worst as being a person who had um, a cloud over their head at all times that nobody else had. And so mm -hmm. she's sitting at the dinner table with 20 guests and everyone's laughing and having a good time. And she's got a cloud, a rain cloud, a storm cloud over only her head. And mm -hmm. no one else is being soaked. No one else is wet. No one else is cold, just her. While she puts on this face and wherever mm -hmm. she moves, it moves with her. You know, she's mm -hmm. a pastor's wife, love the Lord, powerful woman of God. Um, incredible testimony of how she has navigated depression. Um, but that's how she explained it. Imagine being trapped like that. If you've never experienced it, you should only be having compassion and trusting people to tell you what it's like. So no judgment, no tough love. They don't need your tough love. Okay. They don't need to tell them off, talk them through. I'm speaking the truth in love. Not right now. Not right now. Um, they don't need your advice and they don't need comparison about, well, look, so-and-so, she just went through this and she's up and moving like none of that. Just the gentlest, most beautiful, most loving presence like the Holy Spirit. Just be present um, and help. Invite them out if they want to go. If they say no, then... Okay, send a text message. Um, even if they don't respond, they may read it later and only have the strength to read it and be encouraged, but not respond. Um, just the issue of not giving up, you know, on a person that you love, no matter what their illness is. Mm -hmm. That's so helpful. That reminds me of Job. Uh, when his friends sat with him, they were good. When they started talking, that's where it went wrong. <laughs> yes, sis, that is the perfect answer. And every one of them had a different explanation for Job's suffering, and they were all wrong. Yeah. And they were all wrong. What if they had just sat with Job and waited for God? Mm -hmm. That would have been beautiful. Yeah. Been way more helpful uh, to to his situation, and <laughs> much like more. Said, it's hard for us to just sit with people. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you think pushing into that in COVID? It's hard to sit with mm. people and sit with people. So it's kind of like, what other things can I do? I could text or maybe mm -hmm. FaceTime. And I, I had a friend that's which is really navigating depression right now, mm -hmm. and we do a lot of FaceTimes, and yeah. I. I, it, it was hard to adjust to not talking on the FaceTime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You were just present with her. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I feel like I should be saying something. But I realized like one time I started talking and she was like, I'll call you back. And so mm. <laughs> it was it was more effective for me to sit in silence. And so how did you do that? Worse, did she just prop the phone up nearby and you were on it and you were just well, she hanging was, out reading a book? Yeah, she was doing work. And okay. I just started scrolling on something on my computer and just looking at different things, checking emails. But it was like, I'm I'm like, is this helping? helping? And I guess it because we've done it multiple times, I'm like, oh, okay, I mm -hmm. guess this is helping. That's a way to be present. And, you know, in this situation that we're in with people um, being safer at home because of COVID and so many people who live alone, I feel like you don't even need to be depressed to do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just alone so much to have a friend with their screen open in the corner of yours and they might just be reading a book or doing their work too, but I see my friend, you know what I mean? We don't always have to talk. And so I encourage people to continually think out of the box on how we can be present with each other in this moment. But I'm so glad that you were able to give that example um, that I'm not just making this up, that it does help to just be um, present with people and and walk through that and listen. And um, don't be afraid to ask people if they are having suicidal thoughts. You will not inspire them to be suicidal by asking. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people are afraid, well, I don't want to bring it up. And they'll be like, I wasn't suicidal, but now that you said that I am, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, I think people um, people will appreciate that you care, um, that you are willing to hear them, even if they say yes, um, and that you're not afraid of the darkness that they're battling. And you know, you know that suicide hotline number one eight hundred two seven three talk. You can call um, that number with people if they need you to, and don't be afraid if you really feel like someone you love is in danger. Um, of calling 911 and send them to their house. Mm-hmm. I would rather it be a mistake than they lose their life. Mm-hmm. And so um, be bold with your love for, mm-hmm. for your loved one. That's awesome. That is extremely helpful. And I think that's a good place uh, to, to end it. How can people get in contact with you on social? So they can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Anita Phillips, D-R Anita Phillips. I do have a Twitter account, but I'm not on Twitter all that much, man. People, Twitter's <laughs> dangerous. There's some, some mean, mean people on Twitter, a lot of arguments. I, <laughs> I had to roll back on Twitter this year and it got super intense in 2020. And I was just like, in my own mental health space, I needed to roll back. So I'm not on Twitter all that, as much. Um, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook a lot and they can follow me there. Also my YouTube channel, if they want to go and find Dr. Anita Phillips, my official YouTube channel and subscribe there. Um, there are videos from past lives that I've done talking about trauma, talking about mental illness that you can watch and, um, just continue to be edified by that. And I'm always happy to, um, continue to put out material. My podcast, of course, I put a lot of energy into that. My podcast is called In the Light with Dr. Anita Phillips, and it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, SoundCloud. Um, Take a listen. We just wrapped up our second season and lots and lots of conversations at the intersection of faith, mental health, and culture. So yeah, In the Light podcast with Dr. Anita Phillips. Would love for you to join me there. Awesome. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation uh, today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you all for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. Uh, You can catch all our podcasts on our website at jew3project.org, wherever podcasts are streamed, our YouTube channel, Facebook page. You can take online courses at jew3project.org. Become a monthly partner uh, with us at jew3project.org backslash donate. Remember, hit the Jew3 Project. We'll help Helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Until next time, grace and peace. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners 
some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.